Merry Christmas to you. I know it's not Christmas time. You're going to hear a lot about that this month, so you might as well just get used to it. <laughs> Today, we're talking about waiting for peace. The title of this message is Waiting for Peace. Earlier, <clears throat> we lit the candle of peace. You heard a little bit about that. And the question I want to ask you as we go into today's message is this question. What kind of peace are you looking for? Now, I know there are some people this week who had no peace. Uh, where are the Eagles fans at? Because last week, you got crushed by God's team, my 49ers, and you had no sleep for like a week. See how I transitioned from picking on the Raiders for several weeks to the Eagles? It's great. So I'm sorry um, that you guys didn't show up for that game, but it's okay. You guys have got some more time. You're a great team. Um, the Raiders got some peace because they had a bye week. It's the only time it happens. I get it. But what kind of peace are you looking for? <clears throat> you know, as you, as you start to travel for um, business, as you start to travel for Christmas, as you start to go to parties and stuff like that, I'll, I'll tell you a, a little bit. I told my small group I would rat them out, and I'm going to do that because I'm in a small group. And uh, one of the things I don't like doing in small group is gift exchanges. I don't like doing those because our small group does a gift exchange where you have to steal from someone else called the white elephant kid. Now, I am not a softy by nature, and I don't know if there's some sort of thing in my childhood that I need to seek counseling for, but for some reason, I don't like stealing gifts from other people. And so what does my small group lovingly do to me? They make me steal from people like five times. So I get a gift and then they steal from me and they didn't even want the gift. They just wanted me to have to steal from someone else. And I'm like laughing so hard that I'm crying and I'm kind of upset at the same time. I was like, I love these people and I hate them at the same time because they're making me do this. And I had no peace. But some of you, I mean, those are, those are fun times. But some of you, you go to family's house and you have to get yourself geared up to go. You know, there are some times that we go to a family member's house and you probably know how it's going to go. Someone's going to be drama. Someone's going to bring up something. Someone's going to ask you for money. Someone is going to just have a, a series of problems that just seems to never end. And you have to gear yourself up to go because you know and love and care about them and you get there, but you know during this whole time, you're not going to have any peace. And then as also you look at the world, you know, there's no shortage of wars going on. I mean, at any one time, we've got something like 25 wars going on at the same time. And you look at the world and you're just like, I wish there was at least world peace, which we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> now, peace is a funny thing because it's, it's one of those things we ask for around Christmas time specifically. Not necessarily during any other time. Maybe we hope for it, but we ask for peace. And in this series, we've been looking at some kind of overlooked, some not very well-known books called the Minor Prophets, and they happen in this time period, about 400 years or so before the time of Jesus, and they're looking for a bunch of different things, represented by the Advent candles of hope, peace, love, and joy. And today we're going to look at peace, and we're going to start off in a little-known book called Zechariah, uh, towards the end of the Bible, right before you get to the New Testament. And to set the stage for this, Zechariah chapter 9 is actually about a guy you may actually know really well. His name is Alexander the Great. And most scholars believe that Zechariah 9 is in a time in Israel's history where Alexander the Great is moving up and down on the east side. He's trying to conquer all of Asia and the Middle East, and he's succeeding pretty much everywhere he goes. And he marches up and down the city next to the city of Tyre, and he has to, he has to pass God's 
city on the way, and they see him marching up and down. Zechariah 9 is kind of a, a nod to Alexander the Great, an acknowledgement that one of the greatest war machines that has ever existed is marching by their front door several times. So it says this, it says Tyre has built herself a fortress. Now Tyre was, was seen as an impenetrable fortress. In fact, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar tried to siege it for about 13 years, was unsuccessful. Uh, the Persians tried to do the same thing, were unsuccessful. But we do believe um, is that Alexander the Great was able to do this. He was able to lay siege. He, he took a city that was close to him and he threw the rubble into the sea because Tyre sat outside of just a landlocked area and you had to go out to sea. He threw rubble into the sea and marched his army right into the city of Tyre. And most people think, kind of did what this scripture suggests. She's built herself a fortress. She's he heaped up silver like dust and gold, 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 the dirt of the streets. Listen, the Lord will impoverish her and cast her wealth into the sea. She herself will be consumed by fire. But God says, and I, I will encamp at my house as a guard against those who march back and forth, and no oppressor will march against them. Now, in this context, he's talking about God's city. So I'm, I want to show you a map of, of the conquest of Alexander the Great. And, and for a second, you're going to be like, this, what does this have to do with my life? We'll get there, I promise. But this is his conquest map. And right over here is the city of Tyre and Gaza. And God's kingdom is right over here. And so he had to march up and down several times. And there's a legend associated with this particular story. There's a guy named Josephus. And he was a Jewish historian and general. And he tells of a story where Alexander is marching up and down uh, this coast. And he has to pass by the city of God. And he, he's told us that he had a dream. Alexander the Great had a dream that God visited him. And we're not sure if this is true. This could be legend. It could just be, uh, you know, historical fiction or something else. But it's kind of an interesting story. So Alexander the Great has this dream that God comes to him and kind of tells him not to, to sack this city. And the priest of the city has all of his priests dressed up in white. They come out in peace. They open their gates, which you probably shouldn't do, to a general who's coming by multiple times. And they go out to meet Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great bows to no one. He, he doesn't honor other people. They honor him. And he honors the high priest. Again, so Josephus records. And the high priest comes out, and they kind of talk. And this was a big risk. Because opening your gates to a rival power meant you were vulnerable. And as the legend goes, Josephus records this, is that Alexander talks about how he had a dream and that the priests invite Alexander back to their temple and they walk him through how to sacrifice to their God. And then they open up the book of Daniel and the priest says, hey, this book of Daniel, this, this talks about a coming king that would come through this area. And we believe, Alexander, that this might be you. And Alexander, of course, being a person who is probably more than a little arrogant, says, you're right, this is about me. And he looks into the Old Testament and believes that that is a fulfillment of his glory. And he, he gives um, the, the kingdom there uh, a right to not have to pay tribute on the seventh year. And he gives them a right uh, to be a vessel of his, but not have to do some things that some other um, cities have to do. And so he kind of honors them all throughout this. And the reason that is pertinent is that all throughout the city of God's history. So they were always being conquered. There was always war. There was always rumors of war. They were always looking for a time that they could have peace. But that's not the king that we celebrate at Christmas time. It's not Alexander the Great who did a ton of great stuff and the, the 
the, the title attached to him, the great, is, is really good because he, he did a lot for the world. He united them in language and culture and other things like that, but that's not the piece that we're looking for. So if you move down a couple of verses in Zechariah 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, and this is a messianic prophecy. It moves out of the realm of historical fiction or historical fact and into the realm of prophecy. So rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, because the priests and the people of that town and that city, they did not want to be conquered again. They wanted peace. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king, not Alexander, is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do later on. Now, we think, tend to think that Christmas time is about celebrating a baby. I'm here to tell you it's not. Christmas time, we, we put so much emphasis on a major and the birth. And I got to tell you, when you look at the New Testament and Old Testament writers, that is not what they celebrate. In fact, I want to explain it kind of this way. You know, Advent actually means arrival. Advent actually means arrival. And we think that there's really just one arrival that Christmas is about, that the Old Testament is about, that the New Testament is about. And it's not one arrival, but two. The first one is when we celebrate Christmas. Christmas Advent just means first arrival, first arrival. Not just the arrival of God and everything is okay because the coming of Christ at Christmas time, what we celebrate as Christmas time, did not put everything as okay. In fact, the Christmas story is filled with death and tragedy. I mean, many kids lost their lives because of a jealous king who thought that the king of the world had come into the world and he murdered children. Peace was not here, and not the kind of peace that you think. So his first coming did not solve the problem of peace that everyone was waiting for. It did not solve it. Christmas is just the first arrival. But if you look around at the story, it's more about when he comes back. So you continue on in Zechariah, it says this, I will cut off the chariot. Now God is looking forward at a time where there will be no more war. From Ephraim, from the horse, from Jerusalem, the bow of the war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. And his dominion will extend from the sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. I don't know any babies that can do this. Do you? If they do, man, invest in them. They're great. But this is, this is a man. This is a person who has grown up. This is a person who has come into their own power and kingdom. And as you peek into the New Testament, you get to see that it's not just about a baby. So in Luke chapter 2, we pick up one of the most famous part of the Christmas story. And we're going to read the Christmas story all throughout this series, culminating uh, on our Saturday and Sunday gatherings. But in Luke chapter 2, we get a little bit more of a glimpse of what kind of peace that people are thinking of. So in Luke chapter 2, it says this, in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields. And you probably read through this so many times. The shepherds are out there. They're keeping watch at night over their flock, you know, making sure someone's not trying to take their sheep, making sure wolves or bears aren't coming over. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shored around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, the most common phrase in the Bible, don't be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news, the gospel of great joy that will be for all people. Because today in the city of David, and now the angel is kind of going through prophetic stuff in the Old Testament saying, hey, if you read your, your, your Torah, you'll know that the Messiah would come from the city of David. A Savior was born for you, who, he who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly, lying 
in a manger. So you're going to find a kid. And then suddenly there was a heavenly host. Suddenly there was a heavenly host. And all the angels who've been practicing for so long, like, this is my time. I've been working on my vocals. They come out. They praise God saying, and this is the term that most people, this is what people think the Bible says. And it does in a version. But this is why transliteration and translation is so, so important. Because I'm going to ruin your childhood. You ready? I'm going to ruin it. I'll bring it back. Don't worry. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. How many of you have read this? You, you, you've heard it, you've memorized it, it's in songs. You notice I put the version here, the King James Version here? It's not exactly what it says. See, we think that Christmas time brings this kind of peace. Peace on earth and goodwill. And the women are like, well, what about the women? Don't we get peace? It's just, don't worry, peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women. I'll put it in there for you for sure. But this is what we think it says. And that's not what it says. It does in one version. It's not quite what it means. And in order to get to the truth of the matter, I want to consult one of the wisest prophets. Can you show the next picture? Miss Congeniality. Um, <laughs> so this is, a, this is a movie from a long time ago. And if you don't know this scene, if you haven't seen this movie, she, she's in a Miss America pageant, I believe is what it is. And they're bringing people up and they're, they're going through like speeches. And this still happens today. It's like a characterization or like the quintessential uh, Miss America, Miss pageant uh, speech. And they ask them, you know, what, what do you think the world needs? You know, what, what should we look for? What are you praying for? And the quintessential answer is world peace. And she kind of goes off script, uh, script a little bit. Uh, what is the most important thing that our society needs? Easily, that would be harsher punishment for parole violators. And then there's dead silence in the crowd. And she goes, ah, I've kind of messed up here. And she has to answer the quintessential answer, uh, world peace. And everyone claps and they get up. And this still continues as a trend today. It's almost like if you don't get up there on a stage as a Miss America pageant winner or Miss World or whoever it is, and you don't ask for world peace, there's something wrong with you. And this continues on. But here's the thing is, this piece is not, I want to tell you three things that it's not. This piece is not an end to war. It's not. It's not what Jesus came to bring. I'm sorry. We may pray for that. We may ask for that. And it's a really good thing to ask for. But it's not the peace that Jesus came to. It's not the peace that we have to look forward to more so than anything else. And it's a great thing as we look out, and if we could snap our fingers or wave a wand or have one prayer answered, many of us would say, God, I just wish that everyone in the world would be at peace with each other. I mean, you, you would pray that for your own family. I want to go to one Christmas dinner where no one fights. I want to go to one dinner where no one complains. I want to go to one Christmas party where someone doesn't forget a gift. And that, like, it's just, it's all over the place. Like, I want peace. And it's a really good thing to ask for. And you should pray for it. And you should seek it. I mean, it says in the New Testament, we should be peacemakers and peacekeepers. But that's not the peace that Jesus came to bring. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to like help you see that in just a second. So Matthew 10, 34, this is when Jesus has grown up to be a man. It's not often a quoted scripture, but Jesus says this, hey, don't assume that I come to bring peace on earth. You're like, wow, <laughs> okay, I thought that was like your job, you know? Don't assume that I came to bring peace on, peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. 
For I came to turn man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You never see a Christmas card like that, do you? (laughs) I brought you one just in case. Can we show it? Don't assume that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus, Merry Christmas. (laughs) No one's going to do that, right? You get one of those and you're kind of like, what is wrong with you? But those are the words that he said. He said, I did not come to bring peace. Now, does Jesus intentionally bring division? Absolutely not. He's talking about the reality of if you follow him, you will be at odds with the world. And if you follow him, you will be in a minority of people who follow him because the majority of people on earth do not want to follow him. You will be at odds. And it's part of the reason, I'll bring this up at the end of the message, it's part of the reason that you are at odds with some of your family members and your friends and your neighbors It's because they're turned against you because when you are for Jesus, there are people in the world who do not want that and they will be against you. It doesn't make them bad people. It just means that the reality is that when you choose to follow Jesus and celebrate, let me give you a stupid example. You know, there's a war on saying Merry Christmas. It's been this way for years, right? Have you ever gone and someone says Merry Christmas and they're like, Happy Holidays, and you're like, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Happy Holidays. Merriest of Christ mass. You know, you just keep going off more and more and more and you keep going back and forth. And it's like, it's just words. But like, we're trying to wish someone a happy day and it starts a fight. Like, it's so bad. Like, just the season brings out a tension that no other season can do. So this peace is not an end to war. Let me give you another one. So it's not an end to war. It's also not inner peace. It's not some sort of new agey thing that you'll just get this inner peace. How many of you feel inner peace at Christmas time? I don't. I don't feel it. I was like, all right, I got to make sure to get gifts for people that I've forgotten about. Got to make sure to get ready. I'm always behind in things. There's always a party to go to, which is great. You know, I'm always in like meetings and stuff like that. And so is the staff. We're always like, how do we get done the stuff that we need to get done? You know, it's not an inner peace. You don't go into Christmas time, which should be the most wonderful time of the year, because we even have a song that talks about that. And most of us are stressed out of our minds. There's no inner peace. We're just getting through it. We're just like, pour me another eggnog, get me through this day, right? And we have no inner peace. Jesus didn't come to bring that either. He didn't come so that you and I could go through our day and go, you know what? We have peace. And again, there is scripture that seems to talk about this, that the peace that transcends all understanding may rest upon you. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that the peace that Jesus came to bring is not an end to war, and it's not an inner peace. Mary and Joseph didn't even feel inner peace. They had to run. There was almost a divorce there. They they had to go into hiding. There was no inner peace. And they had the Savior of the world with them on the road. No inner peace. And the third one is this one. This peace is not interpersonal peace between people. Again, as I've already given so many times in, in, in terms of this message example, is that you wish that the most wonderful time of the year was when everyone got along but you forget to buy someone a gift, which I have done, and it is not peaceful. And you go to someone's house, and like, if you're on a diet like I am, and you start asking questions, hey, is this keto-friendly? Hey, does this have sugar in it? People are like, get out, get out, you know? And, And you, the other thing is like, even when people mean well, like they give you gifts, and you're like, thank you for getting my child a super loud, super messy thing. Like you got them a glitter bomb, thanks. Like there's no interpersonal peace between people. Like, 
this is not the kind of peace that, that Jesus came to bring. And again, there is scripture that seems to suggest the contrary, that God wants us to be peacekeepers and peacemakers with everyone around us. I'm not suggesting that's not a byproduct. I am suggesting that Jesus did not come to bring these three types of peace. It's not an end to war. It's not inner peace. And it's not interpersonal peace. So what kind of peace is it? Well, if I showed you a different version of that same scripture, when the angels are there and they sing this song, glory to God in the highest, if you look at it in a different version and you read back in the story, you find out what kind of piece he's talking about. So let me give you two versions. This one is, is from the CSB, the one we usually read here. Glory to God in the highest in heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Or the NIV version, which is also very common. Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth to those whom his favor rests. This is not peace for the world. It is not that. Jesus never said he would bring peace to the world. He does not bring peace to everybody. It's not an interpersonal peace. It's not an end to war. It's not an inner peace. It's the peace on whom God's favor rests. This one's a little trickier. We like peace for everybody. We don't like peace for a select few. But that's what it says. We can say it this way. You know, this peace must be received on earth, but it is not from and it is not for the earth. You have to receive it on this earth. And the reason this is so impactful is that because when Jesus came into the world, it forced everyone to make a choice. You either see him as the Prince of Peace and the Savior of the world, and you're for him, and you want to be a part of his kingdom forever, or you are diametrically opposed to him. There's no middle ground. And so when the scripture talks about whose God favor rests, it's for those who have looked at this baby and for us who look back at the man and say, he is my king. He is my peace. You know, earlier we sang a song, and I looked up the lyrics, and the song's kind of an interesting song because it really wasn't a Christmas song. It was based on Psalm 98, I believe, by this guy who really wanted to um, make better um, songs for people. And, and some people took a portion of the stanza of what he wrote and put it to Christmas music, and it became one of the most classic Christmas songs. And inside this song is the peace that Jesus actually brought. So here it is. Hark the herald, I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry, I wouldn't do that to you. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is the peace. Mildly he lay his glory by, that man may no more die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is the peace. It's not an earthly peace. It's a supernatural, eternal, you can experience some of it on this earth and in this life peace, but it's not for here, and it's not from here. You know, if we could have peace on earth ourselves, we would have done it by now. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. And if it was just for here, why did when Jesus came and died and resurrected, do we still not have peace? You ever ask yourself that question? If he's the Prince of Peace and he died for our sins, why do we still have conflict? It's because that's not the type of peace he's, he's talking about. 
He guaranteed to his disciples that they would be stoned and tortured and killed. He guaranteed that they would be put out of the synagogue. He told the people he did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword and turn people against him. Jesus never promised for us to have peace on earth. Never did. But he did promise that we could have peace with God. That one he did promise. See, earlier on in the story, in Luke chapter 1, as part of the birth narrative of John the Baptist, we understand what the Christmas story is actually all about. See, there are two children at Christmas time. You probably know this. Most of us center on Jesus because that's what the reason for the season is. But prior to him is the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a cousin, we believe, of Jesus. And he came to prepare the way. And inside his preparation, because Advent is really about preparing for God. The angel of the Lord talks to the dad and says this, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to give his people knowledge of salvation. Not knowledge of Christmas trees, not knowledge of how to be at peace with people, not experiential ways of how you can have presents and other stuff. The knowledge that is brought is salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's at the very beginning of the Christmas story. But it's easy to gloss over it. We like to get to the time where there are shepherds and there's a cute baby in a manger, which there is some scripture that suggests that Jesus wasn't all that cute. Okay, sorry to bring that to you. But we pass over this pivotal part in the story and it sets up the entire birth narrative. The reason that people had hope that we celebrated last week and the reason that people could look forward to peace as we're looking for today is because this baby would bring salvation where no other human being could do it. It says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. The world was at war, but not the kind of war, the spiritual war, the war with death itself, the war with sin, the war with Satan and his kingdom. It was a cosmic peace that we needed on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Do you see the kind of peace that this, this story is really talking about? Peace from death, peace from sin, peace with God. We can say it this way. This is not world peace. This is not inner peace. This is not interpersonal peace. This is ultimate peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the peace that he brought. That's why Christmas is so important. Ultimate peace. Because if it was just these three, he would be not be worthy of worship. He would not be a person that we should celebrate. These three are small potatoes compared to this one. And most people are like, world peace seems kind of big. It's not. It's not. Peace for eternity, peace from death, peace with God for the forgiveness of sins, that trumps world peace easily. Because it's not just about the people who are alive. It's not just about the people who are dead. It's not just about the people who go to war or the people who have peace in their homes. It's about ultimate peace with God throughout eternity. Way bigger. So remember we asked this question at the beginning of this message. What kind of peace are you looking for? Are you looking for the right kind of peace? Because if it's inner peace, if it's interpersonal peace, and if it's peace in the world at Christmas time, 
you're looking for the wrong piece. It's not what God has for you. It's so much better than that. I did want to make this somewhat practical, and I'm not really going to give you anything to do. Because it's Christmas time, and I thought I'd give you nothing, so there you go. But I do want to give you three realizations about this particular message, or more importantly, the, the, the type of peace that God brings. I wanted to give you three realizations. My hope for you is that it will take some weight off of you during this Christmas time. Because if Jesus began a good work in you, and if he, he came to bring ultimate peace between you and God, there are some things during this Christmas time you have to let go, and you have to accept. So I'll go through these kind of slowly. Number one, the first place you need peace is between you and God. This is the first place. If you are going into this Christmas season and you do not know God, that's where you got to start. Forget your relatives, forget your job, forget yourself, forget everything else, because if you do not have peace with God, you will not have peace anywhere else. It's just fake. You have momentary truces. You do not have actual peace. So if you do not know God, your first homework assignment is to go home and to pray to him and to say, God, I really want the peace that that guy up on stage was talking about. I really want ultimate peace for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, and for peace that I know that I will not die and I will live forever. That's what you need more than anything else. And if you are a Christian and you're going into this season and you're just stressed out, you have forgotten the peace that he has given you. You have forgotten the peace that you have ultimately between you and God. Everything else is gravy. Everything else pales in comparison. No problem, no joy, nothing else pales into comparison or is nothing else is in the way of your peace with God. You have ultimate peace with God. Everything else is a footnote in your life. So the first place you need peace for in this season, if you don't feel like you have it and you already are a Christian, I think you need to go to God. I don't know what's going on. I'm stressed out. I'm a wreck. I'm mean to people. Like I'm just going through the motions. God, remind me that you have given me peace through your son, Jesus Christ. And I ultimately will have peace with you for all eternity. Number two is you don't have to wait for the peace. You can have peace in Jesus Christ. You can have it. It's a personal, knowable. It's the reason we read this story, the Christmas story every year, is because hope and joy and peace and love is not found in a mantra or a Christmas tree or songs or the time of year or presents. It's found in a person. And I know that's like so cliche to talk about at Christmas time, but we must never forget that fact is that Christmas time is ultimately about Jesus Christ. And not just his first coming, but his second. So you and I get to look back. We're not looking forward to the birth of the king of the universe and the prince of peace. He's already come. He's already given you salvation for your sins, if you choose to accept that. He's already given you peace. We just have to be reminded in this Christmas time that it is about a person it's not about all of the symbols, though they mean some things. They ultimately should all point to the Savior of the universe, of Jesus Christ himself. And then this third one is a bit of a hard one. You won't be able to be at peace with the world, with people, or yourself. you got to give this up because you're not going to have it. You're just not. 
You're going to still argue with family members. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to screw up. You're going to sin. You're going to say something you shouldn't. You're going to be mean to someone. You're going to be harsh. You're going to wish you had taken back what you had said. You're going to do something that you're like, man, a Christ follower should not do this thing. You're going to experience inner turmoil. You're not going to have peace with your relatives or your neighbors or your friends all the time. You got to let it go. There are just some things beyond your control. Don't try to force it. As you go into this Christmas season, just be Christ-like as you can in the place that you find yourself. Don't try to create peace because you have ultimate peace in Christ. Again, you've got to let this stuff go because there's going to be war. There's going to be dinner table moments that drive you nuts. There's going to be times when you hate yourself and the times that you think, I can't believe that God would love me. You're going to experience those, I hate to say it, for the rest of your life. You cannot create and bring peace. But if you already have ultimate peace in God, all of these become manageable because you look past them. They're momentary blips on a long journey ahead of you throughout eternity with God. So God didn't bring an end to war. He didn't end up bringing an end to interpersonal conflict. We know that one pretty well because we experience that every just about every week. And he didn't bring an end to personal suffering, to personal beatdowns. I mean, I'm sure you do the same thing I do is that sometimes I'm like, I can't believe God would love me. I just can't. If other people knew what I knew, ugh. But you can have ultimate peace. And Jesus Christ brought peace at Christmas time. Peace with God. And you have that. And if you're already a Christian, my encouragement to you this week is maybe in your prayer life is just say, God, Christmas time reminds me that you brought, you brought peace through your son Jesus Christ between you and I. Thank you. Help me be the best person I can for my family, and my friends, and my coworkers. Help me experience your peace. Let me pray for you. Father, we're thankful of the type of peace that you have given us. You know, peace can be such a cheap word between individuals, between countries, between cultures, between races, between neighbors, between family members, and everything else. But Lord, you have given us the peace that we could not give ourselves. Lord, help us understand that you've brought salvation from sin, that we have peace with you, that we can look at Christmas time. And even though we may see a tree, we can also see the cross, that you have overcome death for us. And the Christmas story talks about your second coming, that you will come back and reign and rule. And those on who your favor rests, those who have said yes to Jesus Christ, will be part of your kingdom. Help us remember that this Christmas time. In Jesus' name, amen. And thanks for being here. I hope you'll come next week. We've got a great message that I can't wait to talk about. We're going to talk about talking about joy uh, next week, and so you'll really, really enjoy it. Hey, a Merry Christmas to you. Uh, go ahead and drop off your gear if you're going to the men's events. Um, thank you so much for those of you who brought the presents. You already blessed in Christ. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. <laughs>